Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am so excited to have one of my favorite guests back on the program, Norman E. Rosenthal, We're going to be talking about finding beauty. We're going to be talking about the gift of adversity, the importance of poetry and how it can help you, and of course, meditation. These are all things that Dr. Rosenthal has focused on in his illustrious career. He is a world-renowned psychiatrist, researcher, and best-selling author who first described seasonal affective disorder, SAD, and SAD, and pioneered the use of light therapy as a treatment during his 20 years at the National Institute of Mental Health, a highly cited researcher. He has written over 200 scholarly scholarly articles and authored or co-authored 10 popular books. These include Winter Blues, the New York Times bestseller Transcendence, and the national bestseller Gift of Adversity and Supermind. His latest book is Poetry Rx, How 50 Inspiring Poems Can Heal and Bring Joy to Your Life. Dr. Rosenthal, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always such a joy to talk with you. It's so nice to have you on. You know, before we started recording, I, I, we were talking about, you know, that this is a tough time and it's an unusual time. And when I look to your work, I see so many ways that we can find peace, we can find joy, we can find hope even. I'd love to hear how you first got interested in not only meditation and transcendence, but also looking at adversity, looking at the mind, and then, of course, jumping into your wonderful latest book, Poetry Rx. Things always begin when I get fascinated by something. And because my chosen field has been the mind, and particularly how to help the mind, you know, how to help the mind that's hurting and how to maximize the mind that maybe isn't hurting, but just wants to aspire to the highest possible goals that we can. So often it starts with observations. So in the case of um, winter blues, seasonal affective disorder, it started with my own observation of coming from South Africa to North America and experiencing the short days of winter for the first time and saying, wow, something's happening to me that never happened to me before. What's going on here? And that led me to that whole trail of working towards describing seasonal affective disorder and figuring out how to deal with it. Um, In just the same way, I always realized that we learn from things that happen in our lives. You know, we learn a lot of things from books, but some things we just learn because life delivers us you know, lessons. And um, I was going to write a book called Lessons Nobody Ever Taught Me. And uh, as I looked at them, there was a more compelling overarching theme to these lessons. And that's that was they always seemed to happen best when things went wrong. The gift of adversity. And I thought, well, you know, that is true on the one hand, because you can't really write something that isn't true. It's not going to resonate. Um, So 
Firstly, it's true. But secondly, it's a way of taking the bad things that happen and saying, okay, this happened or I did it. It didn't just happen. I made a mistake. I messed up. What can I get from it? What can I learn from it? And so I put you know, 52 lessons together. And they weren't only my lessons, but they were things that uh, I encountered people along the way. It's, I was lucky. Some really remarkable people like Viktor Frankl, the great author of Man's Search for Meaning. So that was the gift of adversity. And then, of course, winter blues, as I say, followed from seasonal affective disorder. And now most recently, the and, and meditation has been a huge gift to me. And I wrote a couple of books on that subject, including Supermind. But what I encountered was that a poem can bring relief, comfort, even healing. Happened when a man called me, a friend, one late one evening and said, you know, I'm just devastated. I've lost somebody I love. And how will I ever manage? And I thought, well, what can I say to him? And I said, you know, losing is an art. You know, you learn how to deal with loss because life is losing and love is losing. If we love somebody, we risk losing them. I say it's the price of being a mammal. The price of attachment is that, that if that attachment gets lost, we feel it. And um, he says, have you read that poem? I said, which poem? And he read to me Elizabeth Bishop's One Art, which is such a beautiful poem about losing and how to handle losing. She was a woman who had tremendous losses in her life, and she distills them down into this beautiful poem. So beauty, learning, living, life, loving, these are things that have occupied my mind all these years. Well, it's it's beautiful because you're able to help other people. I mean, I, I'm thinking about before you describe seasonal affective disorder. I mean, that's huge. People didn't know what was going on. What was the response like when this came about? I would say the responses were sort of bifurcated. The people who suffered were so grateful. They now had a name for it. They understood it. They depathologized it. They knew things they could do to help it, especially light, but lots of other things as well, exercise, just understanding something. When I asked people at the end of uh, our studies at the NIMH, what did you get most out of this whole process of seasonal affective disorder, treating it, researching it? They said, just understanding it, even more than light was just the understanding, realizing it's not my fault, I'm not doing anything wrong, it's my biology, it's got an explanation, it's got a treatment. Just that knowledge is so wonderful. And of course, we know cognitive behavior therapy, cognitive, understand. And so that's what they got out of it. Well, it's interesting when he said biology and it's not your fault. I think that's so incredibly important. W what is it about certain people's biology? Are there certain people who have more of a tendency genetically towards uh, seasonal affective disorder? Definitely. There's genetical uh, background. We've done some research in that area. Uh, there is uh, being female. Um, 
especially you know in the reproductive years there seems to be something about those reproductive hormones that is conducive to making you very sensitive to changes in light and so on and so forth uh, those are the, the main things of course living far north and darkness living in a basement apartment as opposed to a penthouse apartment and so on and so forth these are things that are conducive to sad now are there certain types of lights that people should be using yes 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 there are um there are actually you know when i first started with the research um we we used ceiling fixtures of course they're very clunky ungainly and they're not the best things but now there's a whole array of therapy lights but i would say caveat emptor watch out not to get the teeny weeny lights because i don't think they're as effective and they're very they're like a focal point of bright light and that's not good for the eyes get the larger lights screened um softer lights but intense and um you can put it on your desk or tabletop and they're available commercially off the online providers Now I want to talk a little bit about transcendental meditation because that was the type of meditation that you do and that you write about for people who are who are new to it are should they have a teacher is it important to work with somebody who's trained in this or can you just start it on your own Well no you can't start it on your own um there are different kinds of meditation and you know I like the fact that there's choice in the world you can choose what you want to eat and what you want to read and how you want to meditate and it just happened that this was the kind of meditation that i latched onto because it works for me and it traditionally is taught and there are centers all over the country that teach it and so you do need to have it taught because even though one of the selling points of the meditation is that it's easy and simple um nevertheless like many things like many skills that you acquire there's a knack to it and that can best be communicated by teachers who are trained to do so and then you know when it's not working you can come back to them and they can help get you back on track again so that's what i recommend Hi, it's Lisa. Just wanted to pop in real quick and just say I am doing a book giveaway for my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex. It's a cookbook, a memoir, a healthy lifestyle guide. It's not about dirty sex. It's a play on words. And anyway, it's really about overall health. All you have to do to enter is just sign up for my monthly newsletter. It takes a second. Just your name, boom. Your email, boom. And you're going to get great information, great tips, great recipes in the newsletters as well as find out some big exciting things that I have coming up that you don't want to miss. So, go to lisadavismph.com today. All right, back to the show. Now, how long have you been doing TM personally? Well, this time around 15, 16 years, but I had started it many years ago back in South Africa and then I let it drop. off my priority list. You know, it's very easy to get busy and in your busyness pursue this and pursue that, but because of the subtlety of meditation and TM, it's easy to let it go. And 
I have one client, for example, who's been meditating for many years. And I said, how do you know that it's really helping you? He said, well, I stopped it for 40 days. I said, well, what were those 40 days like? He said, they were chaotic. Oh, wow. I just, he is a CEO of a very successful firm. He said, things just went wrong here, there, everywhere. Um, and why do they go wrong? I mean, it's not magic. You become stressed. You become irritable. You, you're short with people. You overreact to things. You do impulsive things because you haven't got that internal slowing down of the mind that, that's, wait a sec, let me think about this. How shall I respond? What was it like for you when you restarted? Well, it was funny because um, I was directed back to doing it by a patient of mine who said, I've, I've had such help from this technique that I would like you to do it. I said, well, I did it many years ago, and then I let it drop. He said, get back to it. And, you know, sometimes the universe talks to you, maybe talks to you when you're a psychiatrist listening to a patient, or maybe it talks to you because you're listening to a radio program or a podcast. And something somebody says resonates and says, wait a sec, that makes sense to me. Let me give it a shot. And so he spoke to me and he was very determined. He directed me to it. And after a couple of weeks, he said, well, you know, is it helping you? I said, not really. He said, are you doing it regularly? I said, well, not really. <laughs> and that was the key. He said, you know, it happened to me. I was, I was on and off and then I got redirected and do it regularly before you make any judgments. And I did. And then interesting things began to happen. For example, what might happen to me is a colleague might talk to me gruffly, somebody maybe who was important in my work, and it would bother me. And I would then, it would kind of noodle on me, and I would maybe pick up the phone, call him up, say, you know, is there something wrong? And I would create a drama out of nothing. And what happened to me when I started to meditate regularly was I thought to myself, I would think, you know, well, he's looking odd. He's, he's um, being gruff with me. You know, maybe something's going on with him. Yeah, you know, I don't need to know it. I don't need to dissect it. I don't need to resolve it today. Let me just get on with my stuff. I mean, this is, I'm putting it into conscious thinking, but it was an unconscious process. You know, if, if things are still wrong tomorrow or the next day, I'll broach it, but otherwise I'll leave it. And what I noticed is that 90% of stuff just evaporates into the ether. So you immediately shed 90% of the things you would have worried about. But it doesn't happen through a cognitive intervention, which it could, but it's hard. It happens just very automatically. You know, and he's angry about something. I don't know. He's welcome to bring it up with me if he wants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a change in the whole way you handle the world that you, you know, this bad thing could happen. Well, you know, if it happens, I'll deal with it. Is there anything I can do to prevent it? Well, not really. So, and and then the stress just rolls off of you and days become easy and everything gets more efficient. And that's why 
my CEO client who stopped for 40 days started finding everything going wrong. It's not that you could put your finger on anything. It was just him. The central processing unit of this whole enterprise was not functioning as well. Right now, especially, you know, like I mentioned earlier, things are very trying. And I think to have these tools to wonder, you know, look at yourself and and read up on seasonal affective disorder to get into transcendental meditation, to take a deeper look at yourself and finding beauty. Be aware of things that you can do every day to make things better. Anyone who listens to the show knows that I'm a huge nature lover. And I try to get out, well, I, I, try, I say I try to get out every day. I, I do get out every day. Uh, even if it's 15 degrees or above, I'm outside. You know, I have, I live in the New England area and I'm from California. And I have friends who grew up here and well, they won't go out in the winter, to, like go for a walk. I was like, I'm a Californian. Could you just put some layers on? Like there's ways around it. And it makes such a huge difference. It really does. It's just wonderful. Yeah, you know, I, I've always, I think in my own way, um, enjoyed beauty. And I think all of us actually, you know, whether it's a musical, whether it's listening to Adele's latest album, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, um, we enjoy beauty. But I think it's just being aware of how much we enjoy beauty and how healing beauty is. You know, feeling yes. that we've been privileged to occupy this gorgeous planet for however long we've been alive. I think that's one of the gifts that I've had of getting older is that I will go walking and I will see a cardinal, uh, mm. uh, just this red splash on an otherwise green or gray or brown landscape. And somehow my eyes will focus on it and I'll say, wow. Just look at that and then it'll take off or whatever, or a cloud formation or simple things. I mean, and not such simple things. I mean, we're here in the Washington, D.C. area, and I went walking the other day on the canal. And as you come around, you see where the fault line has caused a set of falls called Great Falls. And the rushing water and the torrents, the different colors, the sound of the water, the, the spray, the splash, you know, and wherever you are, I'm sure there's something to see that's quite lovely. And and not to be aware of it is to be missing out on a major aspect of the joy of being alive. And then somehow it seeps into you and it changes who you are. And that they all sort of fit together. Like when you meditate, you become more open more open to being aware of things in a different way, a sound, a sight, anything. Sounds a little corny, but I really do believe it. Oh, I think so too. By the way, DC is beautiful. We went, uh, my family and I went to Alexandria, Virginia in April of 2019. We had the best time and we would take the, uh, the, t- the boat taxi from Alexandria to DC beautiful mm-hmm. oh my gosh i said let's move here i want to i want to work on the boat taxi <laughs> i just mm-hmm. love the wind in my hair and the the beauty and oh my gosh what a beautiful place you know dr norman you've had such an incredible career what are some things that you remember learning about that really made you stop and go whoa i didn't know that. I hadn't thought about it that way i'm so glad that you mentioned that because i'm going to mix 
two subjects here. Oh, good. I'm going to mix my description, my discovery of seasonal affective disorder with an amazing poem by John Keats. And I'm going to tell you why I thought about this poem when I first saw my patients responding to light therapy. It's a chapter called The Thrill of Discovery, and it's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. It's called On First Looking into Chapman's Homer. So this is when um, Keats first reads an exciting new translation, and he's kept up all night long, So, and he and his friend are just screaming out the lines of this translation, and they're so excited. And that morning... Early in the morning, he writes the sonnet. It just comes to him and he puts it on his friend's desk and here it is. Much have I traveled in the realms of gold and many goodly states and kingdoms seen. Round many western islands have I been which bards in fealty to Apollo hold. Oft of one wide expanse had I been told that deep-browed Homer ruled as his demean. Yet did I never breathe its pure serene till I heard Chapman speak out loud and bold. Then felt I like some watcher of the skies when a new planet swims into his ken, or like stout Cortez when with eagle eyes he stared at the Pacific and all his men looked at each other with a wild surmise, silent upon a peak in Darien. And that's what I thought of. These people are seeing the Pacific for the first time, and they're just looking at each other. They just can't believe it. It's wild surmise. And that's what happened to me when the first patients responded to light. There was this woman. I remember her. I remember her name. It's whatever, 35 years ago. I remember her so well. And she had been so down. Everything had been difficult. She'd had to farm out to her children chores to do around the house because she couldn't do the housework. She had to figure out a way. She was obviously ill. We started the light therapy and she came in and she was beaming from ear to ear. And she said, this is amazing. This is something really special. And I saw with my own eyes somebody transformed from a hibernating bear into a lively, vibrant woman, excited, excited to be feeling better, excited to be able to do things again, and excited to be at the very beginning of a new discovery. And I felt like, wow, this is how Keats was describing this experience, the unfolding of something, the unfolding of a natural law and the seeing it for the first time. It's so exciting. So I would say that was really a highlight. And then the rest was all just filling in all the details. Wow. You know, I want to ask you about, I know we've done an interview before, but if you could just talk a little bit about Supermind. Well, What happened with me is that I wrote a book called Transcendence. I was so excited by uh, finding that the TM was helping me so much. Just like I said, you know, with stress reactivity, I was less stressed. I was less reactive. 
And then I thought, well, you know, I've done that. I, I've written about TM. I've written about TM in the mind. You know, I can put a close on that chapter. And then I continued to meditate for five years and talk with a lot of other meditators for five more years is now 15 years. But after five years, I realized that I thought I had said everything worth saying, but I was actually wrong. It's, it's shaping my mind. It's, it's helping me. I started writing more. That's when I wrote The Gift of Adversity. Uh, I started writing more. I started thinking more. I started my world, my mind changed. And I could concentrate better. I could relax better. I could get more done. So much seemed to happen. And then another thing seemed to happen is that people... My wife said, you are just a totally different person. And then I said, well, well, she, I said, in what way? She said, well, you're so nice to be around. <laughs> like, what was I, said, I like before? How was I before? She said, well, you were, just, you were impossible. <laughs> I didn't ask for any more details. Well, that's enough. I've, I've heard enough, you know. So in any event, um, I then realized that it wasn't just me. It was a lot of people that I knew and that I was coming across who had changed a lot. So I thought, well, it goes from mind to supermind. Things get improved across a broad spectrum of different functions. And what are the functions? Let me, so I surveyed more than 600 people who were seasoned meditators. They'd been meditating for years. And I created, with the help of colleagues, a questionnaire and surveyed uh, these people. And then I analyzed the results. And what I found is that they improved across a broad range of functions. And one of the functions was very fascinating. Um, it's called the support of nature. That's what the meditators call, call it. It just feels like People are working to make life easier for you. And why? Because you're being nicer and you're not being impossible. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're making things easy for them. Um, and it's, there were many, many examples. And I've given all examples. But one that comes to mind is when I was, I was trying to sneak a bigger than acceptable bag onto a plane and I was pretending to fit it into that kind of stingy metal frame and it wasn't fitting and a woman standing above the stairs was there to make sure that people didn't do exactly what I was doing she said check it it's too big and I tried to give her some kind of response no no check it check it check it so I looked at her and something in me told me this was a stressed person. I said, tell me, is there any way we can work together to make this work? And she looked at me with amazement and she said, sure, honey, we're going to make it work. And I got it on the plane. And as I was walking off, I heard her saying to her friend, did you hear that? It's the first kind word anybody has ever said to me in six months of this, of this job. So that's the support of nature. I mean, she helped me. I wasn't being manipulative. 
I was being genuine. I was responding to her authentically. But, you, you know, I just think of that because it's so unusual. I can't pretend it ever happened again, but it had never, certainly never happened before. And, uh, you know, I think if you're less stressed, then the people around you are less stressed. You're, you're nicer to be around. They want to help you. They want to be around you. I think that's so great. Well, you know, the holidays are coming up, Dr. Norman, and your books are wonderful presents because every book you have is going to change someone's life for the better. And you have things that you put into action. And, and part of why I love doing this show is I love to bring people on the show. I'd love to bring people on who've written books or just have great advice and things that they can immediately take away. And whether it's Poetry Rx, Supermind, Transcendence, A Gift of Adversity, it's a, it's a gift that, and such a, I know it's a, a cliched expression, the gift, the gift that keeps on giving, but they really are. They're really such incredible works. Well, thank you. Every book that I've written has got a specific point that I'm making and a specific track of what you can benefit from. Um, as I was saying to you earlier, poetry is a hard sell because, you know, we have bad associations to it. The, the learning at school, we, we thought of it as dull, we thought of it as difficult and obscure. Check this out, Poetry Rx. The poem is set out, then I explain it, then I give you some nuggets that you can actually take away and use. And finally, I tell you the fascinating little mini biography of each of these poets and how they came to write this particular poem. So, um, and, and uh, there are 50 of them. Uh, you don't have to read it through. People have put it on their nightstand and they just read one in the evening or two. And it gives them something to think about. And, and it is beauty. Remember, Keats said, beauty is truth. Truth is beauty. That is all we know on earth and all we need to know. So beautiful. You know, and, and Dr. Norman, I'm so glad that you described the poems because sometimes, I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't read a lot of poetry, so I might read it and think, I'm not sure exactly what they're trying to say. So having you say, well, this is it, and here's the nuggets to take away, and here's how you can apply it to your own life was incredibly helpful rather than just having a book of poetry where someone's like, well, I'm not really sure what I'm taking away or what's going on. So you well, did such a ma marvelous job. Thank you. I do want to say something because it connects to what we were saying earlier. Sure. About how to connect with somebody, how to get on the same page. Because oftentimes I have people in my office and they're squabbling and it's a question of who's right and who's wrong. And that's what we were talking about, the vaccines, who's right and who's wrong. And... Um, Sometimes uh, the, the Buddhistic, there's a Buddhist expression, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? Sometimes you can't have both. And uh, Rumi, the great Persian poet of the 13th century, has words that are as relevant today as they were then. So I'm going to just read something very short to you oh, from a chapter called The Healing Power of Reconciliation. Out Beyond Ideas by Jalaluddin Rumi. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full 
to talk about ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. So there he is saying, beyond right, beyond wrong, let's reconcile. Let's find a common ground. Let's imagine we're lying in the grass, looking up at the sky. And that's where we lose feelings about how different we are. And we realize we're all part of the same matrix of humanity. And each other differences don't make any sense. So let's let's get to that common place. That's what your friend is saying, your interviewee is saying. Let's find that common ground. I'll meet you there. So somebody is reaching a hand out and saying, I'll make the first move. I'll meet you there. So I think that's something that's just that one little that one little poem. And then of course the nuggets came at the end. Uh, and I talk about my meeting with Viktor Frankl, the great Holocaust survivor, and his emphasis on reconciliation. The nuggets here are, in a conflict with someone important to you, decide on your priority to be right or to get along. Try first to understand, then to be understood. That's from the prayer of St. Francis, by the way. Such an important thing. I just thought about it the other day. I was angry at somebody and I thought, try first to understand, then to be understood. Because I thought of what I was going to say. You need to understand that when you do this, I feel blah, blah, blah. Wait a sec. What is this person feeling? Try to understand rather than to be understood. Once there's harmony between you and the other person, there will be a time to talk about basic principles on which you can both agree and how best to adhere to them. If there has been bad blood between people, sometimes a formal process of reconciliation can be helpful. So those are the nuggets, just from that tiny little poem. So what I've tried to do is to show how useful poetry can be and how beautiful it can be. Well, you did an amazing job. Absolutely. Dr. Norman, is there anything you wanted to add today? I'm just so glad we got to talk about your incredible work and how beneficial it is to the world. Well, I would just say that you're such a wonderful interviewer because I say things when I'm talking to you that I've not said anywhere else. Really? So you somehow have this gift of eliciting eliciting stuff that even I wasn't thinking about. So you you make me think. Oh my gosh, that that's huge. Thank you, Dr. Norman, coming from you. Wow. Tell us all the ways we can find you and your fantastic work. Well, my website is a good starting place. That's normanrosenthal.com. Amazon has a page of mine, which has all my books out there. And uh, I'm not hard to find. Dr. Norman, thank you so much. You're always welcome here on Talk Healthy today. Have a great day. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Have a great day yourself. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. Please do rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And also, if you want some behind the scenes on Talk Healthy Today or a chance monthly to win my book, Clean Eating Dirty Sex, which is a memoir, cookbook, healthy lifestyle guide. It's The title is just a play on words. Please go to 
www.lisadavismph.com. Sign up for my newsletter. And once a month, you'll be getting some great information as well as being entered into a contest to win my book. So again, go to www.lisadavismph.com. Get more on Talk Healthy Today and keep coming back. There's always great information. Thank you.